Hello, and welcome to Second Impressions, the Pride and Prejudice podcast. My name is Grace. And I'm Tom. And we're going to go through Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice chapter by chapter. So I read Pride and Prejudice for the first time in high school, and I don't really think I got it. Um, All the irony went over my head, and I kind of just thought it was a straight, like, romantic novel. Then I got, like, I went um, to college, and I took this Jane Austen seminar, and then I sort of, it was sort of, like, revealed just how how badly I misread it, and ultimately it was, like, pretty hilarious. Um, yeah, just, like, sort of very, very um, approachable, if you really, like, sort of take the time to read it and go in without kind of any preconceived notions about what a Jane Austen novel is. Yeah, yeah, that that sounds that makes sense to me. I I agree. I think that this is a hilarious book. I think Austen is one of the funniest like writers in English literature. I think we're going to see that in the first chapter. Uh-huh. Uh I also think that we're going to get a thoroughly unromantic first chapter. Like it's not just all romance. We're going to start with a couple with a disappointing marriage where <laughs> one one party of the couple just like makes fun of the other party all day long and yeah. like her deepest held <laughs> insecurities and anxieties. Yeah, there's no real mutual respect between Mr. and Mrs. Bennett. One is perceived as like totally ridiculous and the other is just sort of like you know, like tapped out of his own marriage (laughs) uh i think like austin books well maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit here but uh you know they're they have the potential for great cruelty which i think is something that not many people talk about it's it's a little bit more under the surface in pride and prejudice than say like a mansfield park or even like emma where uh, a big plot point hinges on one of the characters being unknowingly cruel but uh (laughs) uh i guess i guess i'll talk about myself a little bit here okay uh, I, I came to Austin later in college for the first time, and I definitely was surprised by the wit and, like, the moral landscape of it, how, you know, we're in a world where good and evil exists, like, romance has real stakes in this world, mm-hmm. and also, I have to appreciate Austin as being, like, an immensely commercial writer, like, in her own time and in this time, and not one single magical thing ever happens. Not only that, but no one even goes on any, like, adventures at all. It takes place in, like, such an insular community for the most part. Uh Uh-huh, right. There's no real, like, deus machina that happens. Nothing, like, really shifts the entire perspective of the book or anything like that. Quite like that. Uh Uh-huh. Um, so... I guess let's get into it. But I I will say also, first of all, you know, we, well, speaking for myself, I am not a Austin expert or a literary expert. These are just my thoughts and opinions. I don't want to mansplain Jane Austen to anyone. I, I just appreciate the work and I just think it's worthwhile to look at it word by word. Okay. And yeah. see what it has to teach us. I also want to clarify, I have no real credentials to back up the things I say other than the multiple times I've read it. Um, yeah, but, uh, you know, I, th- I enjoy it. Um, I feel like every time I read it, I learn something that I hadn't seen the first, the, the previous time I read it. Um, and so I, you know, that's probably one of the reasons why it has endured so long is because there's just so many layers to it and it's still very relevant despite like, you know, the time period it's set in. Um, like, there's a reason people are still fascinated by it and people still want to, like, read it and make adaptations of it and things like that. Um, Which we'll talk about a little bit, too. We'll, yeah, we'll talk yeah. about some adaptations. Yeah, we're, yeah. We'll get into the, the, um, oh, what's his name? The guy. Who did he play? Um, well, who, who, Darcy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I don't know the actors. Oh, <laughs> Colin Firth. Yeah, I, I've Colin never, Firth. I've never seen that. Colin I, Firth, maybe I'm going to turn off some of, of our, uh, audience i've never seen that many series i had not seen the movie with Kira knightley until like a month ago maybe yeah when showed it to me yeah so. when it was finally on netflix we <laughs> sat down and watched it for me for the first time so maybe i'm turning off some of our audience but grace knows about the adaptation oh so i know can, all about them uh-huh, we They're can talk great. about They're that wonderful. too um okay cool so wanna get started? yeah yeah well we should mention that unlike 
uh, maybe some other podcast, we were actually going to go through the the lines one by one, chapter by chapter. Yes. And discuss them. Because I think that's the best way to read Austin, and that's the best way to forget about a lot of our preconceived notions to see what she says in the language. Because she's a pretty, uh, it's a narrator that tells us what, like, what we need to know and mm-hmm. what's important about the characters. Yeah, there's not, the narrator doesn't really give you much room to offer your own interpretations of a character. Like, once a character is introduced, she'll tell you straight up what to think of her, what qualities she has, he or she has, and... Yeah, uh, she just sort of takes the reins in that sense. Uh, a great class I had as an undergraduate at Brooklyn College is we read Sense and Sensibility, and my professor drew a line on the board, and he's like, all right, on this side we have Eleanor, on this side we have Willoughby, all right, and now we're going to rank every other character by their morals. <laughs> <laughs> Which, uh, Pride and Prejudice, you could kind of do. Yeah. Sense and Sensibility is different in that like every character has an appropriate comeuppance for like how how moralistic they are. Mm-hmm. Where Pride and Prejudice is not quite the same, you know. There's some gray areas. Punishments are not quite doled out. Yeah. And people yeah. are allowed to change also. Yeah. yeah, the punishments, I mean, I don't know. They're sort of like temporarily doled out, but nothing that is any really like life-changing. Yeah, exactly. And I think also Darcy you know, she shows that these are characters who are, like, capable of change. Like, their morals can improve, maybe. But we'll, we'll get into that mm-hmm. as we go on. Yeah. All right. So let's start with the first chapter. And uh, I was also I was already talking about this a little bit. Just but just such an unsexy way to start this book. Like, <laughs> here, here's this terrible old couple. Uh-huh. Uh, but, of course, we have to look at the very first, mm-hmm. very first sentence. Will you read that first, Grace? Okay. <clears throat> It is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. Great first sentence. Excellent. This is the whole world and all the action. Mm -hmm. Really sets the stage for what you can expect um, throughout the course of this novel. A truth universal here, and I'll, I'll read the second paragraph. But, however, little known the feelings or views of such a man may be on his first entering a neighborhood... This truth is so well fixed in the minds of the surrounding families that he is considered as the rightful property of some one or other of their daughters. So this is great. We, uh, I think this is a great example of how Austin is the master of this sort of free and direct, the third person omniscient of being able to adapt like a collective voice, a single, the voice of a single character in the narration and then like in the next sentence being like, but that's not true. Yeah, it's, it's a wholly ridiculous first sentence. Like, <clears throat> like A, if it's if it's a truth universally acknowledged, first of all, who is who is acknowledging this? Like, is are all the women in the world, or rather, yeah, are all the families in the world all in unison saying this, like, at the same time, that they're all acknowledging this at the same time? Like, that's totally ridiculous. And it, then it's the surrounding families, I right, guess, right, right the uh, of the neighborhoods that the man is coming into. But, yeah, like but, you, the the families around aren't actually sitting and discussing. Oh, so and so is here. He must want a wife. It's sort of like this internalized view of anyone coming in, anyone new coming into the neighborhood. I guess so. But even if these families are, the men don't. The men coming into the neighborhood don't acknowledge this supposedly universally acknowledged. Right, truth. right. It's it's you know, to to maybe use modern terms, it's the, these families are projecting their own thoughts onto this single man. Uh-huh. And also, I love Austin's use of hyperbole. <laughs> like, the universally is a great adverb. Uh, like, it's not just, like, everyone knows. It's throughout, not even limited to the world, throughout all the universe, throughout all, all time and space, everyone knows that this is a truth, that uh-huh. a man in possession of a good fortune right. wants a wife. Right, uh-huh. specifically a man in possession of a good fortune. If, like, someone with no prospects comes into the neighborhood, no one gives a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I think this is the universally, that's that's part of the free and direct. This is the voice of the surrounding families, slash, really, who whose voice do you think this is? Who is the universally, if you had to pin it to one character? Well, probably the first person who speaks in the chapter, right? Mrs. Bennett. Yeah, I yeah. think this is really Mrs. Bennett's mm-hmm. voice. I think she's the one who says this is a truth universally yeah. acknowledged. This is her mission in life, is to snag up one of these rich men uh-huh. with daughters. Uh, and maybe Mr. Bennett does acknowledge it. I don't know. We'll have to see. Uh, this we'll get, we'll get this in, into right. chapter if two. If Mr. Bennett is acknowledging it, he's saying, he would say this in jest to Mrs. Bennett. Uh-huh. Yeah. 
Uh, okay, all right. So yeah, good point. This is a good way to get into... Now we're in the dialogue. So this is like... This is definitely uh, throughout all the Austin I've read, you know, the major novels. This is the quickest beginning. Sense and Sensibility has a huge amount of setup yeah. at the beginning. Uh-huh. They all do. So um, does Mansfield Park. So does Mansfield Park. So does Persuasion. Even Emma, kind Even of. Emma, Emma kind has of. the whole setup with, uh, with Harriet Smith. Oh, no, with, with the, um, the her housekeeper, right? Her, her um her nanny yeah who she like gets set up right yeah. um and, and we were talking about this before we started but persuasion is maybe the closest as far as like we have a scene to start and it's also one of the parents a very an equally ridiculous uh, scene. which is uh sir walter elliott maybe one of the most read maybe even more ridiculous than mrs bennett i think he's more ridiculous than mrs bennett he's way more vain than mrs bennett i know it's uh, that kind of yeah it's the vain it's the vanity it's how snobby he is uh, it's well, just like so delicious to read he is reading a book of like the history of important english families basically just like list of names and he just likes to look at his own name <laughs> in this book and admire his own family uh-huh. but we were also saying this is not like a single scene that's uh, that's more continuous action at the beginning of persuasion so this is the literary equivalent of like smash cut smash <laughs> cut the bennett's smash talking. cut uh-huh. interior Longhorn. <laughs> Uh, yeah, smash cut. Mrs. Bennett, have you heard that Netherfield Park is lit at last? So she's been waiting for this, lit yes, at last. at last. Uh-huh. I think one thing we should talk about is what letting means. Okay. When what, I first what, read what Netherfield say? Park is lit at last, I was like, uh-huh. I have no clue what this is. And, like, you know, understandably. Because, okay, so letting is basically just has been rented out. Someone owns Netherfield Park. But now, um, as we will later learn, Bingley has basically leased it for however long he plans to stay. So Mrs. Ben is getting excited that this, I guess, abandoned park or abandoned estate finally has um, a tenant. And it is none other than a very single, a single man in possession Eligible of a good fortune. single man, yes. Um, you're going to have to be rich, especially if you're a single man renting out like an estate for yourself netherfield park sounds like a nice place Mm -hmm. okay so mrs bennett asked mr bennett have you heard this it's lit at last we've all been waiting we've all been waiting (laughs) with bated breath i know you have also and mr bennett replied that he had not austin doesn't even give him this line here that's just in the third person voice Uh he's not even he doesn't even get dialogue but i love mrs bennett's reaction to this but it is so (laughs) she's always mr bennett just says he hadn't heard that but mrs bennett is treating this as if he's refuting it as if he said like no it's not but it is (laughs) is. i'm telling you uh can't believe his good fortune (laughs) that finally someone is is there uh mrs long has just been here and she told me all about it we're gonna get into mrs long more i love mrs how mrs bennett's alternating feelings about mrs long but (laughs) well we'll get into that a little bit later in this chapter Mm -hmm. Uh, once again it says mr bennett made no answer uh, so so clearly he's just so withdrawn from the scene he's like barely in the room with her Uh, he might even like be looking at a book or something yeah yeah. we also don't know where they are exactly in the house or wherever i imagine they're in the house yeah upon further reading i kind of assumed he is just in his library where he likes to escape from his family i think so maybe we'll come up and i just forgot um do you not want to know who has taken it cried his wife impatiently so I, it's already like flipped back to like his his yeah. motivation. Mr. Uh-huh. Bennett is not even willing to give an inch for his his own wife, who is just very excited about this news. He does not care that she is this excited about something she also like needs him to be engaged. She doesn't it's not enough for her just to tell him who took it. like he she wants him to ask, yeah, but almost. I, th- I mean, it's like he she does, but also she is perfectly fine carrying on this conversation without his actual enthusiasm. Uh-huh. I think this is, I don't know, I think she's, like, trying to, uh, what she's really wanting to know is, don't you care about your daughters? Don't you care about oh. getting them married like yeah, I yeah, do? Yeah, yeah, That's true. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, all right. Do you not want to know how she's taken it? Quite impatiently. Again, modern, uh, in a lot of, like, modern writing, adverbs are discouraged, but I like Austin's adverbs, <laughs> especially universally. Uh, you want to tell me, and I have no objection to hearing it, great Mr. Bennett line. <laughs> and then it says, this was an invitation enough. So whose voice is that? This was invitation enough. That was, uh, that's the narrator, right? Yeah, yeah, but who, who's free and whose voice is she going into when she says that? Uh, wait, who is it? So Mr. Bennett says, you want to tell me who is lit Netherfield Park, and I have no objection to hearing it. 
And then Austin says, this was invitation enough. It's Mrs. Bennett, isn't it? I think this is like Mr. Bennett's you voice. Think this is Mr. Uh, Bennett's so voice? We're, we we have a third person who can go. Well, maybe it's Mrs. Bennett. I think it's Mrs. Bennett. You think it's Mrs. Bennett? I read it as Mr. Bennett, but well, why do you think it's Mrs. Bennett? Um, I don't know, because I think it's signaling to her. Like, she's like... I think this is signaling what she's what she's thinking. It does talk but about no, her motivation. See, I do see why. I do actually see your point about how it. It's like Mr. Bennett saying, "Like, well, now she's satisfied." Yeah, I guess I was reading it more sardonically. But if you, that's a good point. If you le- look at it from Mrs. Bennett's perspective, it's like, well, this is the most invitation he's going to give me. <laughs> uh, okay. So you, well, why don't you read this next paragraph for year? <clears throat> Why, my dear, you must know, Mrs. Long says that Netherfield is taken by a young man of large fortune from the north of England, that he came down on Monday in a chaise and four Mm -hmm. to see the place, and was so delighted with it that he agreed with Mr. Morris immediately, that he is to take possession before Michaelmas, and some of his servants are to be in the house by the end of next week. All right, great. Very rich. A lot of juicy gossip from one Mrs. Long. Uh, We already have a reiteration of the first paragraph, a young... A young man of large fortune, so not even good fortune. Mr. Mr. Bingley is like, he's on another level. Uh-huh. He's not just good fortune, he has a large fortune. Uh-huh. Uh, this is also some speculation. I can't really verify this, but the fact that Bingley is from the north, you know, just having read from, like, I'm thinking specifically of Elizabeth Gaskell's North and South, like, that usually signifies, like, manufacturing money. Like, right. money that is not quite as, like, old as from the south. Yeah, Mr. Bingley is... Nouveau riche. I think so. Yeah. I think that's pretty fair to say. I mm-hmm. think his sisters maybe. Which kind of yeah, uh, like as you read for, further, which makes his sisters is like snobby snobbishness all that more hypocritical because they were only very recently wealthy. They have no real like to stand on whether like looking down their nose at the people of of this um of this neighborhood. The Bennets might even be older money than yeah. Bingley's. Who knows? This is speculation. But uh and then I do I did look up Chase and Four. These are all cursory google searches this oh, yeah. is not coming well, from any you gave me the annotated uh, version oh so. what is it what does it say in your so copy a chaise of, i mean a chaise is just like a carriage mm-hmm. um but specifically the and four is a real it's a real big hint at just how wealthy he is four indicates that it's a carriage being pulled by four horses uh-huh where i believe chaises would usually be pulled by two horses uh-huh. so uh-huh. this is a guy who you know just kind of rides around on probably like the rolls royces of chases and that's something that not only mrs long has told mrs bennett but mrs bennett thinks is one of the most important facts to present about him that he's arrived in a chase in four uh. i mean i kind of i can see lots of people talking about that now is talking about what type of car someone drives yeah like oh he pulled up and like a Rolls Royce. <laughs> <laughs> I also saw online that chases usually hold three people. Uh-huh. So that's more than one horse per person. Yeah. But who do you think are the other two people in his chase, if that's the case? So is him... What? I... Mm, maybe one of his sisters? I think it's the sisters. I don't know. Do you have any better... I don't think it would be Darcy. You don't think it's Darcy? Because that was going to be my hypothetical like third person but maybe it was just his like two sisters i don't know i guess it's not that important necessarily maybe yeah. it is darcy no, i don't know if darcy would go check out a darcy wouldn't be riding in a chase maybe maybe he would have a even more expensive <laughs> yeah, car, darcy carriage. Should, uh, yeah pull up on his own ride um uh okay yeah. and then i also michael mass michael mass michael mass i just said michael mass but i could be wrong apparently it is you know a important christian holiday to anglicans at that time but it also signaled a uh the beginning and end of a financial quarter oh yeah so a lot of like houses were let uh-huh. around that time where people started new jobs yeah 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 um and some of his servants are being in the house by the end of next week so more talk about like his servants his money mm-hmm. his effects nothing about him as a person uh-huh. just what he has what he drove up in, <laughs> what kind of servants he's bringing, when he's coming, where he's from, where he's from. Uh-huh. Although it that it doesn't mean nothing about the fact that he's from the north is ever really brought up. Again. Not really. Just like maybe it's just I don't know Austin's signifier that he is new money. I think any chance Austin has to like kick her characters a little bit, she's gonna take. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which I appreciate that. I like that. <laughs> uh, okay, what is his name? So now. Mr. Bingley had, I mean, sorry, Mr. Bennett has asked a question. What is his name? So she told him all this information and didn't even tell him his name. (laughs) 
Yeah, what's his name? Uh huh. Bingley. Is he married or single? <laughs> that's great. Oh, uh, <laughs> his name's Bingley. Is he uh, married or single? I, I think that's totally facetious. No, totally. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Mrs. Bennet has no reason to talk to Mr. Bennet unless it's about marrying off their daughters. Uh, yeah, so he's just like torturing her. But mm-hmm. she, when she says, Single, my dear, to be sure. I think she is being kind of a dummy here. She doesn't. She's not picking up. No, yeah. He's like, uh huh. No, Mrs. It's not an equal <laughs> verbal, like verbal. Uh, what? Uh, battle, battle of wits. wits. No, no, no. Well, this is also important. We'll get into this later. But uh, this is like a bad example of. Uh, you know, a dueling battle of wits. This is an unequal battle where no. later Elizabeth will find her perfect, like, sparring partner in uh, Darcy. It's very much like Much Ado About Nothing in a way. The, oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. The Merry War of Words or mm-hmm. whatever. Uh, okay, so she says, single, my dear. Single man of large fortune. Here, we got to reiterate it. Four or five thousand a year. What a fine thing for our girls. Imagine just, like, knowing someone's income oh i did look that up okay so in modern money that's about one hundred sixty thousand a year and that's not even including his inheritance that's like what he's getting from living like living in the estate the whatever mm. the money that comes to him mm. so that's a pretty nice chunk of change but mm-hmm. yeah that is a good point like who knows how, like, how on earth, like, really, if you want to, like, dive into the psychology of books, which I know you're really not supposed to, but, like, if you really want to think about it, how is, does anyone find out this stranger's income so quickly and then to have it be, like, so widely distributed amongst everyone? Mrs. Long must have known about this, so yeah. I guess this is, you know, it's a preoccupation in the neighborhood, like, how much each person is worth, uh-huh. especially a single man. Mm-hmm. Because that's, like, your the merits, that's your medal as a man. That's more important than who you are. Because, like, you're not going to want to be introduced unless you know that they have some income coming in. Mm-hmm. What a fine thing for our girls. It's true. It is true. Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah, well, we'll get into it more. We have not quite set up the stakes of why Mrs. Bennet is so desperate to marry off her girls yet. Which is interesting. But we'll find out it's because they'll basically be destitute mm-hmm. otherwise. So she is she's acting out of a good place. Yeah. And then Mr. Bennett doesn't even let up a little bit. He goes, how so? How can it affect that? <laughs> That's basically the equivalent of, is he single? He, <laughs> he's just like being Wait, like lib this now. This single uh-huh. man of large fortune? What could he possibly want to do with my five single daughters? Uh-huh. <laughs> Or, like, how is that even good for them? Like, what, what, you know, what does that have to do with my daughters? Yeah, and, yeah, like, yeah. how would that be beneficial <laughs> to them? Uh, my dear Mrs. Bennett, Mr. Bennett, replied his wife, how can you be so tiresome? Okay, I think she kind of gets that he's making fun of her here, right? Yeah, I think so. Or is she saying, like, how can you, like, be so ignorant? Do you think if she I believes to, his ignorance? If I were to be sympathetic, like, if I were to say that his wife had any ounce of intelligence, I'd say, like, she is she is exhausted because she doesn't want to play Mr. Bennett's games anymore. He she wants him to take this seriously now. I think that's my reading. Let's let's be a little yeah. generous to Mrs. Bennett, although Austin would never be generous. To her. <laughs> <laughs> um, you must know that I am thinking of marrying one of them. All right, great. Well, this is something also worth mentioning is how Austin builds this world through dialogue and through character. Mm-hmm. Like, whereas, honestly, in Sense and Sensibility, we have that third person come in and tell us everything we need to know about the world. Yeah. This is what the Bennets are doing for us here. This is why there's so much action in, like, the first two pages. It's just, like, yeah, it's so smartly done that everything you really need to know about about these people about the society they live in is all sort of conveyed through dialogue. Uh, and in this conversation, specifically. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and it's hilarious, also. Yeah. So. Without sounding even, like, expository. It's very... It's funny, and it's engaging. Well, it's a great trick that Austin has this, uh, you know, this facetiousness of Mr. Bennett, because now he's drawing out this information from his wife that clearly he would already know. Yeah. But he's just <laughs> doing this to, like, make fun of her. But it works up for us, the reader, because now we're finding out important information that we need to know. Mm-hmm. So he's, like, heard this a thousand times, but he's just, like, playing along with her. But for the benefit of the reader, this <laughs> it works very well. <laughs> okay, so after she says, you must know I'm thinking of his marrying one of them, he goes... Is that his design in settling here? <laughs> Which kind of calls back to the first sentence. It's like, 
you know, a single that a single man in possession of good fortune must be in want of a wife. It's like whether he knows or not, whether he knows uh -huh. it or not. And he's like, oh, is that why he's here to marry someone? And this is a curious line that comes next from Mrs. Bennett. Design, nonsense. How can you talk so? But it's very likely he may fall in love with one of them. So what is she saying here? Like, is she, that... She, like, she doesn't want to, or maybe she doesn't, isn't really intelligent enough to realize that, like, like, how do I put this? Like, to, she, she realizes it, it is ridiculous and kind of impossible for someone to move into move into a town with the objective the like 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 explicit objective of marrying someone which is what she thinks mr bennett is saying it's mm -hmm. like oh so you're telling me he came here with the purpose of marrying someone and that <laughs> To, to Mrs. Bennett's credit, she sees that as ridiculous. She's like, of course not. Uh-huh. So she knows the second, because we're going back to the second paragraph now. She knows how little known these feelings are. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. she knows that's not, like, anyone's design in going to a neighborhood. That's maybe her design when they come <laughs> in. The only other reading I had of that is that maybe that's, like, crass. Don't, don't talk that uh... way. Like, he's not just coming here to, like you know, to find women. Which is ironic because there's nothing, honestly, there's nothing more crass than talking about someone's wealth. <laughs> yeah. And then she goes and says, like, shh, don't talk, don't talk about him like that. He's not here, like, to do that. that would be, so that would be, <laughs> uh, like, totally, like, that wouldn't be very gentlemanly. Yeah. But, you know. Well, Austin loves hypocrites. Or she doesn't love them, but she loves writing for them uh -huh. and, like, reveling in hypocrisy. Yes, yes, yes. And more of just, like, yeah, I think this is a good rule to remember. Like, anytime Austin has a chance to kick one of her characters, she will. Because mm -hmm. she is partially a malignant god. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe ultimately beneficial, but we'll, we'll see. Mm -hmm. Um... It's very likely that he may fall in love with them, and therefore you must visit him as soon as he comes. Okay, and this is another thing I want to discuss, how, like, it is important to remember when reading Austin, like, this is a world with different rules. Yeah, that might be some people's, like, aversion to reading Austin is because there are rules that may come off, like... I don't want to say anti-feminist because that's such a modernistic well, take of it. It's but... an anti-feminist society. Right, it is an anti-feminist uh -huh. society, but, like... Yeah, the thing that you that reading this book you need to understand is that like you know, women really have no uh, no autonomy. They have no they have to follow in their patri in the patriarchal member of their family. Like they can't they can't go out and do things on their own. They have to like they have like a role in society and that is to be like behind the husband. So when they yeah, say Okay, yeah, we'll see this more in the second paragraph. So Mr. Bennett, more of great, like, we're going to learn exposition through him being facetious. He, Mrs. Bennett says, you got to go visit Bingley. He says, I see no occasion for that. You and the girls may go, or you may send them by themselves, which perhaps will still be better. For as you are as handsome as any of them, Mr. Bingley might like you the best of the party. Okay, well, well hold on. We'll get to that last <laughs> part of the sentence later. Yeah. But him saying, you and the girls may go, or you may send them by themselves, which perhaps will still be better will be better still, rather. Yeah, uh, so this she, is not very... Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was just saying... Yeah, so just to sort of summarize what he's saying. He's saying, you and the girls can go visit him yourself. Or better yet, you can just send the girls on their own. This is very is, outrageous to that like, society. This, yeah, this, this is not normal. You can't do that. You uh, can't send off with the women of your, of your family off to do anything. I think that even if you don't know that, though, the fact that Mr. Bennett is saying it makes you know that it's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Like, obviously, Mr. Bennett doesn't say anything that's not a joke for the most part. <laughs> even when he's no, trying to be serious, he, he expresses it He hasn't jokes. said uh -huh. a single serious thing in this entire chapter. So, yeah, well, this is great. So now, so even if you don't know the rules to the world that Austin lives in, which we don't, I don't, you know, I'm not an expert in Regency society. Like, she teaches you the rules of the world mm -hmm. um okay yeah so by like him saying so even mrs bennett who is a very improprietal person who will like talk of anyone's like fortune or like men coming into the neighborhood as just excuses to marry off their daughters still know mr bennett's gotta go visit them first you can't just send the girls by themselves right which um oh yeah and this little you wanted to talk about the little bit at the end um for you are as handsome as any of them. Mr. Bingley might like you the best of the party. <laughs> okay, pretty clear joke. 
But then it gets complicated by what Mrs. Bennett says. My dear, you flatter me. I certainly have had my share of beauty, but I am not to pretend to be anything extraordinary now. Great, great phrasing. <laughs> when a woman has grown up five daughters, she ought to give over thinking of her own beauty. Which is just, I don't know, it's, it's so cruel to paint Mrs. Bennett this way mm -hmm. that she thinks Mr. Bennett is being in any way serious about her as pot a potential viable candidate <laughs> to like catch Mr. Bingley's eye. Uh, or he rather like she just she takes him seriously or she just like jumps on any opportunity to have to talk about her own beauty. Maybe, yeah. And we also get her to like the two poles of her life. Like when she was younger, she was beautiful, and now that she's older, she's gonna marry her daughters. This is like this is the through line of her life. Uh-huh. Which at least she has far more purpose than Mr. Bennett does, right. probably. Yeah. This also gives like a tiny hint as to why on earth Mr. Bennett would have married someone like Mrs. Bennett. And it's sort of hinted mm, that because yeah. she was very beautiful in her youth and he might have just married her for that reason. Like she was beautiful she was probably very fun that's a great point and yeah now he has sort of like i don't know what bet the wrong horse yeah yeah well this is uh-huh go ahead just sort of like now he's stuck with her and her and now his only joy in life is mocking her, to her <laughs> face. this is why austin's also a great writer because it's not just enough to present bickering couples she like wants to know why this couple got together she's going to give you the history yeah. of them yeah not only are they bickering but he in in the bickering in their dialogue, she's really good at reviewing, revu revealing their characteristics. Uh, like, it's, yeah. Well, I do not pretend to be anything extraordinary now is a great humble brag. <laughs> uh, I know, right? yeah. oh, Such a good humble brag. <laughs> I'm not extraordinary. <laughs> Anymore. Uh, she ought to give over thinking of her own beauty. Oh, okay, and this is kind of a curious line from Mr. Bennett, and I'm not quite sure what he's saying, but he says, in such cases... A woman has not often much beauty to think of. Is it like saying... Is he calling her ugly? I don't... Maybe. Maybe Maybe it's like this one moment of her gaining confidence in herself through her beauty. He's sort of taking it back. Like, well, you know, you weren't that pretty to begin with. Uh, yeah, well, when she's saying, like, a woman of five who has five grown daughters ought to give over thinking of her own beauty. And he's like... In such cases, a woman has not often much beauty to think of. Yeah, I guess so. We're just like, you're not that beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> like, let's uh, Yeah, let's tone it down a little bit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was just making a joke earlier. Uh, okay, well, and this is great. Mr. Mrs. Bennett's like, well, this conversation is not going where I need to, so I got to put this back on track. She uh -huh. says, you must go and see Mr. Bingley when he comes into the neighborhood. Like, this is, this is gone off track. We're not talking about my own beauty here. We're talking about what you need to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um... And then he says, it is more than I engage for, I assure you. So it's like, he's just saying, like, I'd rather not. I think so. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, is he, is really there another reading than that? No, he just, I mean, this is also like a, a, a clue that he is very sedentary. He doesn't like doing anything. He doesn't like meeting people. He doesn't like leaving his library. He doesn't even like talking to his own family. Uh, especially not his own wife. Uh -huh. <laughs> okay. All right. And then she, but Mrs. Bennett says, but consider your daughters. Only think what an establishment it would be for one of them. Yeah, that's one of the things I loved about Pride and Prejudice is the word establishment. Mm -hmm. It's just synonymous with marriage. Yeah, well, what do you, what do we get from that word? What does that make you think of establishment? Well, I think of like property. The house, right? Yeah. yeah. What property, I mean, Netherfield, well, what, what's it called again? Netherfield Park. Park, right. Yeah, what a great establishment. That's a uh -huh. great piece of property. Uh -huh. It's also like a sense of stability, like to be established, like like to like be like, phew, okay, well, that's taken care of. <laughs> like we've established yeah, that she's right. married uh -huh. and we don't need to worry about her anymore. Yeah, exactly. You have stability for life. It's also interesting going back to the house how, and we'll see this later with uh, Pimberly, like, properties and ex as an extension of men or like as their uh, properties an oh, extension totally. of a man's worth. Yeah, yeah, uh -huh. yeah, yeah. Like the, what you see in their estate is reflective of their characteristic. And we see like that with, with, yeah. Yeah, with Rosings, uh -huh. with, ne uh, well, I guess we don't really get too much into Netherfield Park, how it looks. Not, it's not his, like, ancestral estate, so no, I guess, yeah. yeah, yeah. With, um, with, um, with Temberley, especially like yeah. the the natural looking creek. This is all this is all Darcy. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And then with um, the, the the little house that Mr. Collins lives in. 
Oh, the the rectory or wherever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's just like just yeah. off the course of Rosen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll get to that later. We'll get to this. Okay, but great word. Yeah, only think when an establishment it would be for one of them. Okay, and now we're gonna hear. Here we go. We're gonna build some like tension, the rivalry of Sir William and Lady Lucas are determined to go merely on that encounter. For in general, you know, they visit no newcomers, <laughs> <laughs> unless they're wealthy young men. Mm-hmm. Uh, indeed, you must go, for it will be impossible for us to visit him. So this is also more world, world building. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. if Mrs. Bennet thinks this is a rule we ought to follow, then this is really a pretty blatant rule for this society. Like, the father's got to make the connection. It is interesting that Austin knew to include this line, because I'm sure it was probably pretty self-explanatory in her time that women can't visit new families without the father first making an introduction but the fact that she included this bit of exposition i think maybe like reveals how maybe how how she knew how long lasting this book would be like maybe that she that she needed to reveal this type of culture that's a good point i think you know she had to be thinking about international i i don't know we can't really speculate i right, guess too can't. much what she's thinking it does do some character work though it's saying that mrs bennett is not totally shameless she has some like base level of propriety which is like yeah, yeah. i can't just send the daughters over there because that's right that's kind of that's not a good look no she uh, she's a lot of things but she's not a dummy yeah like, well she will send her daughters just to go flirt with like soldiers but they don't have any money yeah, so yeah, it's yeah. different right. uh, she still adheres to the rules <laughs> um and then here's more facetiousness from mr bennett saying you were over scrupulous surely so i think this is him like telling us that like mrs bennett does have a baseline propriety and he's saying that's over scrupulous <laughs> uh i dare say mr bingley will be very glad to see you and I will send a few lines by you to assure him of my hearty consent to his marrying whichever he chooses of the girls, though I must throw in a good word for my little Lizzie. Okay, all right, this is great. This is now, now we are getting... To the meat of everything. Uh-huh, because now we've met Lizzie. So, Mr. Bing, uh, Mr. Bennett, more being ridiculous, saying, just send any, any of the girls over, and I'll write a few lines being like, you're allowed to marry them. <laughs> I don't even need to meet you. You're, you're fine. Which <laughs> you have is, my consent. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, which is like... I don't know. I don't know. It's it's yeah. It's like he wants to sort of like cut out the middleman. Uh huh. Well, this, he's just so lazy. This, like, yeah. like, like like dog and pony show of uh-huh. like having to like talk to him. And, like, <laughs> I don't want to talk to you. Yeah. Like I don't want to like, see you. Like, uh-huh. Yeah, like we both know you just want to see him so he can marry one of his one of our daughters. So I'm just gonna give him. My consent now. I'll write a few lines, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Any any of the girls he wants. (laughs) Let's skip the pleasantries. But this is very interesting. Though I must throw in a good word from my little Lizzie. So we know who his favorite daughter is. That's Mm -hmm. that's done in this line. Also, do we take him... Do you believe him? Like, why do you think he... He wants... He's like, you can have any of the girls, but I'm gonna, you know, like, favor Lizzie. I'm gonna give Lizzie an extra good word. Well, why do you think he's saying that? Um, I think just having already read this chapter, it like if you read further down, it kind of it's him like, you know, like like poking at his wife some more because he probably knows that his wife has another favorite. Uh-huh. Like Lizzie, I think is Mrs. Bennett's least favorite daughter. Maybe except Mary, but like regardless, like he he I don't know. I think he's just saying Lizzie's my favorite because to kind of to to tease Mrs. Bennett some more. I think, yeah, I think that's totally right. Also, you know, this is not quite established in this chapter, but um, Jane, the older daughter, should probably be married before Lizzie yeah, that is. Too. Especially if there's, like, an, uh, a marriageable young man. But I also think, like, for even though he's being ridiculous and saying it to make fun of Mrs. Bennett, he is, like, he really kind of wants Lizzie to have the rich husband. Like, he thinks she deserves, like, the nicest marriage out of all of them. I don't know. This is, like, speculation. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. He's like, I, yeah, like, he's like, well, if I'm going to do all this, I want my favorite daughter to get married. <laughs> uh uh-huh, to the, the the richest man we can find, <laughs> which happens, because, yep. well, I... <laughs> Spoiler alert! <laughs> <laughs> this, we'll get into this later also, but there was a little bit of, like, doling out of not necessarily punishments, but just, like, people of appropriate morals get appropriate endings. So, yeah, like, yeah. the most admirable character gets the biggest fortune, and the second most admirable character, Jane, gets the second biggest fortune. <laughs> yeah. Which is, that's why, Pride and Prejudice, I think part of the popularity is the wish fulfillment Wish element. fulfillment, uh-huh. good, good triumphing over evil. <laughs> um, okay, 
All right, so now we're, we're going to get into what Mrs. Bennett thinks about Lizzie. So, I desire you will do no such thing. So, what do you think she desires he will not do? Send that note or throw in the good word for Lizzie? I think she's talking about the first thing he says about the note. Or, I, I think she, then she says Lizzie is not a bit better than the others. Either she oh, just, like, is totally ignoring saying. that note as, like, this is sheer ridiculousness, mm. or she kind of takes it seriously and no, is, like, don't put right. in a good word for Lizzie. I think you're Lizzie. right. I think she's totally ignoring his first thing about the totally ridiculous thing of just, like, sending his daughters off like a, like pigs to a show. Uh-huh. And, yeah, you're right. I think she's saying you can't throw in a good word for Lizzie because... Uh, she continues on to say, Lizzie is not a bit better than the others, mm-hmm. and I am sure she is not half so handsome as Jane, nor half so good-humored as Lydia, <laughs> but you are always giving her the preference. Okay, that line, you're always giving her the preference, We that's showing us, now we know about who Mr. Bennett's favorite is, really. Mr. Mm-hmm. Bennett is not just saying that because he thinks Lizzie's the dumbest, it's because he yeah, truly yeah. does prefer her. Yeah. But we also, this is a great insight into what Mrs. Uh, Bennett thinks is important. Handsome... And good-humored. Uh-huh. And in that, we also see what who her favorite daughters are. Uh-huh. Well, what do you think good-humored means? Fun. Fun. It just means fun. Yeah, it's not like... It's Lydia. not Mr. Bennett's humor. No, uh-huh. good-humor just means fun, always always ready to have a good time. Flirty, which is I think. Flirty, uh-huh. which proves to be kind of devastating, as we will later learn. Yeah, well, Mrs. Bennett, that's kind of beyond her, <laughs> her level to understand. Uh... Okay, and then this is a great one. This is one oh, of my favorite paragraphs of the what a troll. first Kids chapter. They have none of them much to recommend, including Lizzie. None of them, replied he. They are all silly and ignorant like other girls. So some misogyny thrown in just for good measure. <laughs> but this is a great line. But Lizzie has something more of a quickness than her sisters. That's that's great Austin phrasing. Something more of a quickness that like any workshop teacher would try to like get rid of. Yeah, but, uh, she... It's there. There's so many layers. It's like there's so many layers to it. It's um, being qualified so many times that like Mr. Bennett still will not say anything directly positive. She and she still is silly in yeah. his uh, estimation. Saying, yeah, yeah, all of them are silly. It just so happens that Lizzie has something more of a quickness, which is just what do you? What does that mean? Quickness. Yeah. Well, this is like his flip version of good humored. I think because we'll learn later that. Uh, Mrs. Bennett does not really like Jane all that much, but she is handsome. Right. But she, Lydia is her true favorite because of the good humor. Mm-hmm. And Lizzie is Mr. Bennett's true favorite because of quickness. So what do you think quickness means? Well, we'll later learn. Lizzie, I think it's like smart. She's smart. Uh-huh. She picks up on things. Picks up yeah. on things. She is witty. She's funny. She's I think that's funny. a big part of it. Yeah. She's yeah. quick. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's, like, intellectually funny. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think so. So something more of a quickness. And that's what appeals to her. I mean, that's what appeals to Mr. Bennett about her. Because, well, I mean, we'll also later see they, their favorites are just reflector, reflections of themselves. Mr. Bennett thinks he's very funny, and so, of course, his favorite child is the funniest child. Uh-huh. And Mrs. Bennett, in her youth, was probably super fun and really pretty and, like, a, you know, the, the, the crowd pleaser of every party. And that's Lydia. You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Lydia is the one who's also very, you know, ru- I, 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 I see her like <laughs> running amok, just like laughing and giggling and flirting with everyone in sight. And that's probably what Mrs. Bennett was like, too. And we'll also get, you know, this is an interesting insight into what Austin thinks about both of these characters, about Mrs. Bennett and Mr. Bennett. And Austin has a lot of thoughts about them. But Mrs. Bennett was good humored. And now that she is old, she's basically lost that in her, like, marriage mania. Like, she does not have good humor anymore. She is not a good time to be around. Well, yeah, but maybe that also has something to do with the fact that now her mission in life is to save her daughters from being turned out onto the streets. I guess the reason for her good humor before was to increase her marriage ability, maybe. Yeah, and maybe she, like Lydia, didn't have a fucking care in the world. Her, Uh Her care was to just have a good time. Yeah, well, if you don't have a care, you will wind up with cares yeah but mr bennett he's like that is the one quality that he has to recommend him and i do think it's austin has a lot of affection for mr bennett even though she would think he's a terrible human being and maybe like satanic almost in ways but the quickness 
And that doesn't go away. He has retained that through his whole disappointing life, is that he is still <laughs> funny and he can still amuse himself. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that it is worth mentioning, like, I don't know, that's almost sort of like like Satan in Milton's Paradise Lost. Like, I can create, you know, heaven of my own mind, basically. And, like, that's a, that's a character Austin would not approve of morally, but I think Austin as the writer is, like, or even Austin as the person is, I, I definitely identify with that and maybe like speaks to her own you know experiences of limited means like i have my own mind at least mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i do think mr bennett is kind of like you know a sort of a super character who does like transcend his own like circumstances to a certain extent okay i see what you're saying okay though. all right we'll talk about that more um okay but this is great so mrs bennett's like totally fairly enough she asks him, how can you abuse your children in such a way <laughs> you take delight in vexing me and you have no compassion on my poor nurse? Oh, there it is. Her poor nurse. Uh, <laughs> will you read that next, the next paragraph sure, for us? yeah. And he goes, you mistake me, my dear. I have a high respect for your nerves. They are my old friends. I have heard you mention them with consideration these last 20 years at least. <laughs> um, I do like, so here we get Mrs. Bennett is not just a total dummy. Like, she knows you delight in vexing me. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, she's not quick, but she does, she's a little slow to the uptake, but she'll, she'll, she'll know when her husband is making fun of her. Uh Uh-huh. My poor nerves. I have the high respect for your nerves. They are my old friends. (laughs) Which just goes to show just how little, uh, just uh, how little compassion he actually does. Like, he doesn't give a flying fuck that his wife is, like... Really, really trying like to save Like a nervous them. wreck, basically. Yeah, yeah, like, uh-huh. which under, is understandable. Like, just... I I mean, I have a lot of sympathy for Mrs. Bennet, despite how silly she is. Like, I, she does... She's... she's she, she was not dealt the best hand. She's working with what she's got. Her biggest problem is just that she... Like, sometimes shoots herself in her own foot, you know? I think this is also a credit to Austin, is that we can have, like, as the reader, I also feel sympathetic for Mrs. Bennet. Like, we can feel sympathy for her, but Austin is never asking us to do that, you know? Mm-hmm. We we just understand through her circumstances that it it is a sympathetic... Like, she is a sympathetic character, ultimately, but Austin never takes a side to be like, let's go through Mrs. Bennett's, like, poor, tragical history, <laughs> right? That is... Austin, she can just, like, make you feel sympathetic for a character with really, like, I don't know, fine strokes, and it never, like, veers into sentimentality, which is... I don't know. In my opinion, and I think any, like, savvy Austin reader, like, that's death. You can't be sentimental. Right, yeah, no. She offers no sentimentality for any of her characters. No, really. no. Well, that's... She's too smart for that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <clears throat> um, Pick me, my dear. Okay, and then she says, you do not know what I suffer. So this is... Yeah, we are getting, like, sympathy for her. Mm-hmm. You don't know... You don't know what I suffer, and he doesn't really. Mm-hmm. And then he goes... But I hope you will get over it and live to see many young men of 4,000 a year come into the neighborhood. It's like, he's just like, don't sweat it. There are tons, tons of eligible bachelors coming in and out of this town all the time. Uh, and also, it's like, that's just not the case. Also just joking about her suffering. Oh, I hope you'll get over it. Don't worry. You know, there'll be a lot more men of 4,000. <laughs> um, it will be no use if 20 such should come since you will not visit them. Totally fair. That's totally good, fair. Uh-huh. That is a very smart retort to him. Yeah. He, 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 like, he's, she's playing his game now. Uh-huh. He's like saying, well, you know, lots of men will come and go. And she's like, well, even if they are, we can't do anything about it because you won't say hi. <laughs> uh, and then he has the totally ridiculous response. Depend upon it, my dear. That when there are 20, I will visit them all. Aww. Oh, so, oh, God, so mean. He's a bastard. No, he is, but a funny one. Uh, all right. And then in the final paragraph, he, the narrator goes on to, like, tell you what Mr. Bennett's deal is. Just in case you didn't get their total characters from that, like, two-page interaction. Will you read it for us? Yeah, sure. He got, uh, so the narrator goes, Mr. Bennett was so odd a mixture of quick parts, sarcastic humor, reserve, and caprice that the experience of three and twenty years had been insufficient to make his wife understand his character. So they've been married 23 years now, uh-huh. and still she just doesn't get him. I I feel like that might be a little bit of an overstatement based on the dialogue that we just read. I think this is probably... 
have been insufficient to make his wife understand his character. I think maybe that's what Mr. Bennett is thinking. I get that. Uh -huh. I think she does understand his character a little bit. And yeah, I think yeah. there's also like a willful ignorance. Like she maybe, you know, in order to survive this marriage, she's just kind of keep plowing along. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. Uh, there's that. Oh, I'm sorry, not to interrupt what, what you, but here's it? this word "quick" again. "Quick" part. So now mm -hmm. we we see that this is why that's something that uh, he values nope. in Elizabeth. Yeah, quickness uh -huh. definitely is signifying something about um, like speaking, how well they speak. Lizzie is very quick in that she is witty with her friends and witty when it comes to like make joking about someone. And I think Mr. Bennett is also demonstrated that here by being quick with his words uh quick parts sarcastic humor reserve and caprice i think that's about all you need to know about mr bennett <laughs> uh okay yeah will you keep going about mrs bennett then okay so then uh, her mind was less difficult to develop that's a great line we'll oh. talk about that well who for who for the for austin the narrator well that's why i think like maybe that's also what mr bennett is thinking like he thinks oh you know like she still doesn't get me but her mind is very easily, uh, you can, yeah, yeah, she's very one note. Um, what you see is what you get with her. She was a woman of mean understanding, <laughs> which um, I had to learn was inferior intelligence. So she's, she's dumb. <laughs> mean means small, yeah. lacking. Uh -huh. Of mean understanding, little information, and uncertain temper. I, I don't know about the uncertain temper. It seems like she's fairly consistent to me so far. Well, I think maybe she's talking about Maybe that's her nerves. The nerves. Yeah. Oh, our good, our good friends. The nerves. <laughs> <laughs> when she was discontented, she fancied uh -huh. herself there nervous. Go. There you go. So she's like always nervous. The business of her life was to get her daughters married. Its solace was visiting and news. All right, and this is a very important sentence. The business of her life was to get her daughters married. Hundred percent true. That is the business of her life. That's everything we see her do is almost yeah. going to be to accomplish that goal. Mm -hmm. And its solace was visiting and news. The only thing that could temper her poor nerves is to hear that a rich man has come to the t has come to town. Ah, uh, and like I guess this is probably the only enjoyment she gets from her life is like visiting people who live in this neighborhood and like hearing gossip and yeah, gossiping. Yeah. Right? Yeah, gossip. Not even necessarily about eligible men, just gossip about what's going on, which is so sad. I think it is important that this is how this chapter closes, though. Like this is about. We're about to see, like, visiting a news could be a potential name for this book. Like, <laughs> so we're about to see a lot of that. Uh-huh. Yeah, so that's the first chapter. Any any final thoughts? Overall thoughts? Well, yeah. I guess we covered it pretty well, but, uh, yeah, just, like, like so quick. We saw, like, a whole, like, short story play out pretty much in, like, a mm -hmm. matter of two, two and a half pages. Yeah. Really sets the scene. I appreciate that it starts with Mr. and Mrs. Bennett. Uh, oh, it's great. Yeah, the older generation. Mm-hmm, yep. And it's also, we're getting set up this sort of, like, the dueling wits. Like, the the bickering yeah. couple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is just, like, the worst example of it. And then by the end, she's going to present us with the best example of it. Mm-hmm. And it's also, like, this is a bad marriage. Let me, watch me develop, like, a great marriage. Uh-huh. Yeah, this is, um... This is a cautionary tale of what happens when you marry poorly. It is a cautionary tale to some extent. Mm -hmm. So I guess we'll, we'll leave off there yep. and we will discuss chapter two in the next one. So, yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. Well, I've been Tom. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been Grace. Okay. Well, we'll see you in chapter two.